This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest formerly competed in the NASCAR Bush Series, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, ASA, and ARTGO. Most of his success as a driver came in the Bush Series, where he ran 333 races over 14 years, racking up four wins, 66 top tens, and four poles. He is currently a spotter in the NASCAR Cup Series and NASCAR Xfinity Series for Stuart Haas Racing drivers Kevin Harvick and Riley Herbst. Welcome to the podcast, Tim Fedewa. Tim, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike Wallace. How's it going? Excellent, Tim. Thank you for joining. I always call him Timmy, though. Do you really? Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. I just say hey, Timmy. Timmy. You know, I think everybody does, don't they? Or not? I don't know. This is my first, this is my very first conversation with Tim. Yeah, well, so. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it's Tim Fetal. I'm saying something. When I see him, I say, "Hey, Timmy, what's going on?" So, what's going on, Timmy? Most people do. <laughs> Nothing, Mikey. Not much, man. <laughs> well, 
As I had told you before the show, the, the the greatest part about our show, and Jeff, how many people are listening? The whole world the is whole, listening, Mike. The whole world the whole listens. World. So uh, besides your current day activities, which is taking care of Kevin Harvick and Riley Herps and the SHR group, there was a day back in time when you started this, this career, and I, I need you to help educate the fans that are listening of who Tim Fiedewa is, where did he come from, when did you first get started in motorsports, so... That's what we try to find out. And if you don't mind taking us, as they say, way back then. The stage is yours, Tim. Have at it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was born and raised in Michigan. My my grandfather raced. My my dad raced. My Uncle Gary raced. And I, had a, I have a cousin that's a year younger than me, which you can relate to family racing, Mike. I'm, I'm sure um, we just grew up around it. That's all we really knew. My, my dad, my uncle, my grandfather all had real jobs, but you really never know it because I don't know how they how they had a real job because all we did was race. But um, they managed to do both, and uh, I grew up around them and, and and seeing them do what they do. And you know, from a young age, I mean, from a baby, I was you know in the grandstands, then underneath the grandstands, running around acting like we were racing with the other kids. Uh, you know, making racetracks in the dirt, just like you know. That's a true like racer a right the there, Jeff. Right. right. There. When you're a kid, yeah, I mean, you like make it, a track in the dirt. You're you're it. The banking was always really hard to me. I mean, just to get the banking right. And I to this day I, I just it boggles my mind how I could never get the banking right. But anyhow, I knew I was born to be a racer and uh um you know, watch my dad, my uncle Gary. I didn't get to see my grandfather race too much, but uh, you know, at an early age he, he was in the, the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame. And, uh, I, I just, even my grandmother raced, um, for, for a limited amount of time in the forties, they were, they were, I uh, guess what you call barnstormers. They, they did whatever they could. They, they jumped out of hot air balloons with, uh, homemade parachutes. I mean, they just to make money. Okay. That's then, just kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you think back then uh, they were, they were daredevils and, uh, right. he, he raced, I got a cool picture of my, my grandfather on a, like a forties Harley Davidson on a flat track. I think it was in Manistee, Michigan fairgrounds. Um, he raced bikes first and then, uh, went to, to cars. I guess you call them jalopies cause you know, the beginnings of stock car, if you will. And then, uh, I got a lot of pictures from the sixties and seventies of my uncle and my dad's cars that were built by my grandfather. Then, uh, he helped me. My grandfather helped me with my very first car, an old late model we bought. Um, and what do you call an old? What do you call that. an old late model, Tim? What? what uh, you know, today and today's standards. I mean, it was just a, just a, it was a car that had a roll cage, right? Like that was your that was your race car. I mean, it didn't have to. It, it was nothing like the the late models that they race now on the dirt or asphalt, as far as that goes. But to me, it had a roll cage and. And a motor in it, and and you know an old body on it that didn't really look like something on the street. So that to me was a was a late model. So the other night I went to the NCMA Awards banquet mm -hmm. over at the Embassy Suites, and they were honoring the, honoring the Allison brothers. No, no kid. So Tim, back in their day, you would call that an amateur car, is what he told me. That that amateur was the amateur car. class. <laughs> yeah, I. It was I like a, a street stock car or something, you know? Yeah, it, it would be a street stock in today's, other than it, it did have good tires on it, big, big fat dirt tires on it. And, and we always had big motors. So, 
a lot of times we have big blocks and um it, it was it was a cool time for sure and i i had i always had people that that helped me mike i mean and i'm sure you can relate they were people that were friends with my dad my grandfather my uncle i think my first sponsor was he just bought me tires right like i never had to worry about the tire bill and then a guy bought me gas gas not only for my race car but for my hauler um I had another guy that would buy all the the food for the weekend. He owned a butcher shop, so we had lunch meats and hamburgers. And it, it was just, you know, and then we just kind of progressed and and uh, went into from local late model racing to uh, the Artgo series, which was a very competitive series that run Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana. Um, well, let's back up like to, Joe that, to that beginning series first. Did you have success there? Did you win races? I did okay, you know. I, I really, we raced, my dad would never let me race the same track every weekend for the most part. Uh, we moved around. So, like, I went for a year. I never won anything, you know, but I learned and I got better and better. And um, I, I wasn't like a, you know, for, I, I don't know. I didn't win everything I sat in, but it was a little different time. Um mm-hmm. I mean, did he have you moving dad, around all those other race trucks just to get you different well, yeah. experience? Didn't want you to be to what they call the one track wonder. <laughs> no, I mean that in a positive way. You know, if you win at one track, Jeff, all the time, you find out how good you are as soon as you travel. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know? and that was his theory too. And the other theory that I don't know if I agree with, but we didn't have like the best car. Like we, he, his theory was, you know you're going to start out in something not that great and learn and it's going to get better with time where today I think the kids, you know, start out in the best. I'm, I'm not saying which is better because I really don't know, but you know, back in the eighties when I was getting learning how to drive, I didn't have the, the, the best car in the, in the fleet. Right. Like we, I trade literally traded $1,200 and a snowmobile I had I'm from Michigan for my first race car and it was a used up uh late model that you know a guy named gary mckinley who who won a lot of races up north in northern michigan had and uh that that was my start and we worked on it and me and a couple buddies from from michigan and and my dad and and just learned the ropes yeah so i interrupted you there asking you about how you know if you'd won there so you then you moved on to the arco series right is that where you're saying your late model was from or that was before or well i run some races i never won anything locally at features um i uh you know i did fairly well but i never won like track championship i don't think i won a feature till i went then i went i got a call from you know you knew ray dewitt Right, um, yeah, very, very Ray, influential yeah. in the race world for many years. I guess that was uh, yeah. yeah. So Ray was from Michigan, and and uh, you know I was just running my old dirt car on pavement and asphalt both, and and kind of stumbling around trying to figure figure everything out. And uh, Ray called me up and he said, "Hey, you want to go to Grundy County tonight? It's a Tuesday." <laughs> I'm like, uh, "Yeah, sure, that'd be great." So we uh, we got in the car, drove to. Illinois, and um, I don't think I made the race that night, uh, which was no shame in that because there were 48 cars, and um, the Artgo series was a very competitive series. and um, Very, very competitive. Yeah. Very competitive. Yeah. He asked me back like a couple weeks later, and, and uh, we raced a couple more Artgo races, and 
the next year we went full time and I, I won the short track national championship at Rockford. Oh my gosh. That's um, huge, big, dude. Yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so Jeff, just to give you a, a little idea of the art, rock, how do you say it? It's short track national championships were at Rockford, which is a quarter, correct me if I'm wrong. I've only been there a couple of times, quarter mile high bank. Yeah. Right. And I'm, when I'm talking about the best in the best showed up for that race, Yeah. you know, that, uh, to win there, you I'll, had I'll to be a hitter, man. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget it. I was, I, they, they took the top 12 and 12th place started on the, on the pole. Qualified 13th. Mike Alexander got the pole, mm. and um, he got disqualified for uh, soaking tires, supposedly. <laughs> so no, nobody uh, do that back then. <laughs> I inherited the pole, and I never looked back, man. I think I led all 300 laps. To be honest with you, I never. Wow. I just took off, and and it was it was something special. I mean, it, you know, it, it's still surreal to this day. And uh, it was, uh, I guess it kicked off my career, basically. Yeah, that's cool because the racetrack he's talking about, it, it's got such history. The Deary family used to own that racetrack. Yes. They, and I understand it's closing at the end of this year, at the end of 2023. Uh, they've announced that. That's that it. They give in. There's too much development money out there for them to right? sell it out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, make some easy money. Yeah. Well, they they, they were. Uh, the They've De tried. The Deary family has been around racing for many many years. Got a lot of involvement in now today the World Outlaws Dirt Series and all that. Uh, but uh, the race he's talking about, I re I remember my my dad and brother Rusty went to the short track nationals. We raced in St. Louis first time we went there, and I I, I be believe between both of them that weekend it was our first venture ever there that between the two of them they had hit literally everything connected except for the pace car <laughs> and and then no you get it this is you know you hear about that then the wrecker hooks to the front of my dad's car and backs it into the pace car that's not a, that's not a bs joke that's the real truth and talk about leaving with your heads held between your legs but uh Man, winning that race! Congratulations! That, that's major, well, major cool. You. Yeah, so, it was cool. Like yeah. I said, I didn't even know what I did. I just knew it was it was pretty cool. And and over the years, you know, it, it's probably one of my, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of. To be honest with you, Mike. Sure, you should be. That's uh, not you know, not many people you can't win take that it race. away from you, can? Right? No, you still yeah. got you still <laughs> got the thoughts. I don't know where the trophy's at, but you at least can, right. they, they know in the record either, book. <laughs> Right. All right. So you don't know where it is either. You, you surely you've got a trophy room. Come on. Uh, you know, <laughs> I had one for a long time, and then, you know, just it just kind of like I have all my father's trophies and some of my grandfather's, and and uh, I keep them in a room, but it's not really a, a trophy room per se. It's it's really to me, you know, I was never big on that stuff. It's it's just the. To me, it was all, it's always in my head that I did it, and uh, I don't have to show people I did it. I know I did it. That, like the, and Mike can probably confer with me on this, but you know, walking in the garage the next week or the, the pit area, you know, just knowing that that's worth more than any trophy to me, um, and and just having them memories, and because you work so hard at it your whole life, and then when you finally accomplish winning a race, it's it's a 
definitely a good feeling and and uh you know you you beat your your comrades the people you look up to and you feel like you maybe got a little acceptance in the group you've been with for so long even today i mean i, I think the cup drivers are the same today just winning a race uh you know it just means so much to us racers well it does mean a lot and i'm i'm probably not a lot different than you tim except i got my last win trophy from talladega when i drove harvick's truck down there and won. it's sitting on my dresser in my closet i look at it every morning every night so that's cool <laughs> i no, good. shine good. it up on the weekends no but i uh, there there are Maybe days it. in your life that people try to for some reason make you think you weren't very successful and i just walk in my closet and go on that day i was yeah yeah that's right you, <laughs> you know, were the best in the biz that day yeah. yeah somebody said something one day about well you ought to get rid of all them trophies you got stored there and i go nope never i says i'll <laughs> chime I never up get one. rid of them you know yeah i says my grandkids and now that i do have grandkids the, I can honestly prove to him that Grandpa wasn't full of crap. He actually did win some of them races. You know? that, that's still debatable, though. Yeah. Oh, hey, 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 hey. It's all relative. Like, you know, Mike, you won races. I won races. And then it's always – there's always somebody that is going to win more races than you, right? Yeah. Like, you you have your brother, right? Both of them. That, I mean, that's hard, like – I had my uncles, my dad, my grandfather. You always had to live up to them. So when you get your race, even if it's a couple of them, man, at least you know, hey, I was a winner. At yeah. some point in my life, I was a winner. And, uh, you know, it, they do beat you down, man. That's life, right? Like, no matter what you do, someone's always trying to beat you down. So um, maybe I should put all my trophies in my closet. There you go. It's hard <laughs> to win them races. In the morning when I walk out. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back and talk more with Tim Fedewa. You're listening to Fast Card and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Card and NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. On the line today, Tim Fedewa is hanging out with us. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Tim, we, we talked about the Short Track Nationals, you winning that, the Arco Short Track Nationals, and then we kind of got off on different things. But take us from the day, you know, act, after you guys pulled out of uh, Rockford after winning that, where did your career go from that point? Well, I think from that point, you know, we that was the beginning of the year and, and uh, in, in my first Arco season full-time. and uh, We ended up winning Rookie of the Year that year. Um, didn't win another race. I think I won a... At lacrosse, we had a feature uh, winner only race that I won, and uh, but it wasn't a points race. And uh, the, the year after that, we went ASA racing um, full time. I raced there for two years. I, I never won a race. Either of them two years came close. Um, hey, can you can you take a break right there, Tim, just for a second? You know, the uh, a lot of people have asked me. And I only ran a couple ASA races in my career. Of course, my brother Rusty and Kenny ran a lot of them. And tell the world what the ASA series was, because it, you know they, they've rebranded. It's coming back this year. They got the name back. Yes. Explain, because there were such great racers as yourself in ASA, and I've had so many people come up to me and go, "What was ASA? What was this to talk about this thing?" We've heard Mark Martin talk about that, and your brother. Tell us what ASA was. ASA was the best short trackers in the, in the nation, um, racing long races with live pit stops, much like the cup series is today. 
um, the Winchester 400, uh, you know, we raced the, the Red Bud 300 at Anderson Speedway, which is a quarter mile, like we were talking about Rockford. Um, you raced at Salem and they were all long races with live pit stops and, you know, you, your brothers, every, uh, I mean, they're the heroes of heroes race the SA series, right? I mean, that was trickle. Yeah. Like you, you really about as close to a cup series as you could get for short track racers. Um, so me saying, I never want to race, but came close. I'm pretty proud saying that because, you know, I don't, that was tough trucking. I mean, you had trickle Seneca, Butch Miller, and that's all these guys did, right? They just raced these racetracks. They followed ASA, Gary St. Amont, Glenn Allen, Jr. Um, I mean, Ted Musgrave, we, the list goes on and on and on with, with different people that have run ASA, Uh, you know, Rex Robbins, the son, Brian run the series for, for years. Um, it was just the, you know, I, I think the year I started run of it, running it, TNN, uh, took over and started broadcasting it live on TV. And, uh, it was, it was special times, man. It was a special place. Uh, we started getting notoriety and, uh, I mean, just what a cool series. Yeah. And if I can echo what Tim's saying, just because I know it, Jeff, the ASA series was the early days of the hero racer. I mean, everybody yes. he just named, uh, Mark, Mark, ninety percent of them ended up in a Cup car or a right. Bush Series car, you know, or a yes. truck, whatever. And they were just when he was mentioning those four hundred, you know, the Winchester four hundred. That was four hundred laps. That just wasn't a number of four hundred. That was four hundred laps no. around a right. high banked half mile balls to the wall racetrack you know i mean it was really tough and it was the this camaraderie that you uh that you traveled with this group you know it's the love hate relationship they were your challengers competitors on the racetrack mike eddie yeah i mean mike eddie was like the dale earnhardt of asa right yeah. dale earnhardt senior uh you know you just there was so much respect you had for all these guys and and uh you know, it was just, you had to be like a sponge. You just learned off them and, uh, you know, listening to their stories. And I'm sure you and Kenny and Rusty talk about it a lot. I mean, you know, Mark talks about it all the time on Twitter, just, you know, the good old days, the, the days of, of, uh, you know, I'm just glad I was a small part of it, man. Yeah. No kidding. I, you talk about Mark and we're talking about Mark Martin and Mark was our second guest ever on the show, on this show. So we're very excited awesome. and appreciative of that. Uh, I'll see Mark do postings here recently about talking about the ASA series, how great it was. And, and, and I'll probably have to ask you a, an ASA best story, but I got to tell you this one time, Jeff and, and Timmy, you've heard this probably. So Dick Trickle, the alleged, you know, just the superstar Dick Trickle, Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin's Dick Trickle. Yes, sir. Yep. So Trickle was not only the ultimate racer, he was the ultimate person and he was the ultimate beer drinker oh yeah <laughs> he, he he loved having a party and when i say a party it was everything was a social event he he yes. reminded me of the rick flair 30 on 30 show that was done a few oh, years yeah. he'd, he'd buy everybody around a beer in the bar and all this and that well come come closing time the only racer that's left is trickle mm-hmm. and everybody knows this and he'd laugh if told the story today 
So I get him on race day, and I says, Trickle, how in the heck? And I'm with my brother Rusty this time because, again, I didn't run much ASA. Run a few, but Rusty and Kenny were the, you know, they run a lot of it. And Kenny was really good friends with Trickle, as was Rusty. But I says, Dick, how in the heck? Do you just come out and win all these damn races? I mean, you're you're the man. He goes, well, you know, I know I'm the man. <laughs> he got a cigarette. Always got a cigarette in his yeah. hand, right, Timmy? He's got a cigarette and in his a hand. And, and he goes, well, let me tell you really what the truth is. He says, you know, we had them beers last night. <laughs> I was the last one to leave the bar. When I woke up this morning, you guys were all going to feel the best you were going to feel. And I felt horrible. <laughs> So all I wanted to do was hurry up and get this damn race over with, so I just wanted to be the first one done. <laughs> That's what he told me. And he had to listen yeah. to it because as Trickle stands with a cigarette in one hand, a coffee cup in the other, legs kind of bow-legged, and, and just said, I just I just feel really bad. I want to be the first one done. <laughs> That's a true so, statement. I'm That's sure. my Dick Trickle story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, I had plenty too. I remember. Throw us a few ASA stories out there. Well, even in the Bush series at Nazareth, it was a hot day, and that was a tough track. And I, as soon as I got out, it just collapsed right next to the on the left side of the car, right under the door top, and I had my head back. And I look around, and I see a couple other guys doing the same, right? And I see these cowboy boots. I'm looking down because I don't have any energy to look up, <laughs> and I see cowboy boots, and I look up. Trickle, who finished, I don't like second, maybe. And he said, What's wrong, boy? I said, Man, I'm hot. He had a cup of coffee and a cigarette. I feel great. And he walked off. I I swear, this is not, I did not make it up. It's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. He walked off. What a great story. What a guy he was, wasn't he? So, oh, man. Man. We, We all, everybody wanted to be him. Like, right? If you, if you were from the Midwest and you raced, late model cars. I mean, you idolize Dick Trickle. Yeah, we used to say, Jeff, that Dick Trickle, as the racer that he was, if he ever wanted to be the governor of Wisconsin, yeah, he just had to run for it. Right. He didn't have to right. politic for it because everybody knew who he was. It was, it was great. So <laughs> moving on from the, our Trickle stories a little bit, which I think those could go on for days and days. Yeah, from what that's our, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, as your per- years are, uh, progress out of the SA series into the Bush series, tell us how that all went and who you were driving for and all those things. Well, again, the common denominator was Randan DeWitt. Uh, you know, they took me out go racing, and we went ASA racing with them. We had a shop in, in Michigan uh, uh, out in Okemos, Michigan, and uh, you and know what did start, they do? We, How did they get involved in racing, and what funded their racing? Uh, you know, Ray always hung around uh, Berlin Speedway in Michigan, um, and Diane, um, her ex-husband Bob Seelman was a legendary racer from Michigan, sprint car racer, built his own motors, built his own cars, won a lot of races, um, and then uh, Diane and Ray, you know, they both divorced got remarried. So Diane and Ray ended up being together and, uh, they were just racers and, uh, Ray's family owned a company called Billmar foods. And they were the first people to incorporate Turkey into lunch meat and hot dogs, Turkey dogs, right? They started it off. Turkey dogs, Turkey bologna. Sounds Anyhow, like a big Sarah deal Lee, today. 
<laughs> yes, Sarah Lee ends up buying them out. Well, Ray's dad owned the company and uncle. Obviously, they got their share. Guess what? Timmy went racing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, it was just perfect. Everything worked out good. Ray loved to race. And just a really good people, you know. And I knew Diane. Diane was friends with my mom and dad. So we had the relationship. Um, and, and they took a chance on a kid that knew, you know, I always, uh, I didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money when I first started, but I, I did work hard. And uh, thank God for, for people like Ray and Dan. Anyhow, we got going with ASA, bought an ARCA car from Bud Moore, um, right off the a Morgan Shepherd, I think was racing it at the time. Took it to Atlanta, finished third, I think my first race in the ARCA race. Went to Pocono, finished third. Uh, went back to Atlanta, was leading it. And I forget what happened. Ended up finishing second, I think, to Purvis. Anyhow, so we decided to go bush racing. And uh, we built a car. Now, now hold that thought on that ARCA deal just for a second. Tell me at that point in your life, you said to yourself, this stuff is easy. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. After having the, the – well, we went to Daytona first. I, I qualified second. And this is no no kidding. My first arc race ever was at Daytona. Qualified second. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? Well, there was Hoosiers and there was Goodyears. We were always loyal to Goodyear. And uh, the first lap of the race, Bob Shack, who was – you know, an ARCA legend and, and, and a short track, a good racer, great racer, good friend. He was on a Hoosier well, for whatever reason. And, uh, the Hoosiers were not very good. Uh, they had problems with that. I'm not going to go any further than that. They had problems with it that week. And, uh, first lap, we go into three, the biggest wreck in ARCA history. And I'm, I'm part of it, right? 27 cars, I think. It's just a melee before we even get to the first lap. And uh, so after that, I was like, well, you know, this is a little <laughs> tougher than I thought. We go to Atlanta and we finish third. But it, it was, Arca was in them cars. Back then, you, you bought a cup car. And if you bought a good cup car, Mike, you were pretty good, right? Right. Like the car drove good. Um, it, it's not that way now. But uh, anyhow, that kind of got us in the in the mood to go bush racing and um we built a car race it a couple times i don't think we made the first race made the second and then in 93 which was my rookie year we went full-time bush racing and and so how did how did that i i had to back up on that <laughs> when i said that when you won ran so good in the market yes. cars i kind of had to experience yeah. a little bit of that same experience if i this isn't hard at all. I don't understand what everybody makes yeah. a big deal out. Stock then car racing then about the, the fourth yes, or fifth it's... race, reality struck that <laughs> this crap is hard, man. <laughs> These guys threw hard balls here, you know? So uh, my, my first year of the Bush Series, which is the Xfinity Series now, was extremely hard, right? Like, I mean, you just tooth and nail fighting every week just to, you know. I think I missed Hickory. There were 63 cars entered the spring race at Hickory. Um, I went home. Think about that we number. Raced again 63 there. That's cars. A lot, that's a lot of cars. Yeah. <laughs> In a 32-car field, right? Wow. Well, the next the next race, I missed Hickory again. So I missed two races that year. 
um, which is heartbreaking to a team that's running full time. And I mean it, but it, it made you so much better. So we tested 10 times at Hickory, right before the next year and, and just got our whole short track program a lot better. And, um, that was in 93 was I finished second to Hermie Sadler, uh, in rookie of the year. He won, I think two or three races with Bobby King in the 25. He was driving um, Don Bradley's car, wasn't it? He was driving back. Yes, then? it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yep. Which was a great team. Uh, Chris Rice is now the general manager at college. He was, I think the tire guy there. I didn't know um, that. So Chris goes back to that yep. time, huh? Okay. Yes, he does. Yep. So, I mean, it was cool. I mean, we, me and Hermie were buddies and, uh, we raced hard all, you know, for, for that year. And, uh, 94, we kind of floundered around, did decent, got a pole. And then 95, I won my first Bush series race at, at Nazareth. Beautiful. Hold that thought. And, uh, and let, let's talk yeah. about that win when we come we'll back. We'll come back and talk more with Tim Fedua. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Tim Fedua joins us today. We're talking bush racing back in the early 90s. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Tim, you just let us in that you guys went to Nazareth, and that was your first win. You got, you got to give me the whole weekend there and how exciting that had to be for you and the team. Well, I, you know, the, the first couple times I went there, it wasn't very good because it was one of the trickier tracks on the, the circuit. Um, it's a mile-flat track. I know you've raced there. that, But it, it, it took a, a little bit to get used to, and a lot of guys hated it. And uh, I always I loved it. I mean, I don't know why, I guess racing at Milwaukee and Minnesota State Fair and a lot of the flat tracks, lacrosse that I, that I'd grown up racing on, it just kind of fit my style. And I, I, it was my, I think it was my first or second pole. And then, uh, we, we pretty much just controlled the race and, and won it. Um, it was with the, with Rand and DeWitt again, which we had no sponsor, um, which that was a big deal back then. I, um, I believe, did you win a race, Mike, with, with Barry? Oh, yeah. In an unsponsored car? Well, we ended up For having, the most part, a low. Yeah, we ran a low-budget deal, but we ended up having FDP brakes on the car. We, uh, yes. We actually what, were able to have. But that wasn't like. It wasn't major money, you know, and uh, we had Barry on our show here just last week, right? Yep, two weeks ago, I'm sorry. And uh, he, he spelled out how he was able to race with no money. You know, I mean, that's just we did things different back then, you know, but when you compete in it made it feel so much better, I'm sure. And like your car owner had some money, but the car was probably plain in color or nothing big on it. And, yeah. uh, you know, it says a lot. I mean, you can't even go unload these things today without a sponsor on them, you know. No, and, that's right. And and that was the start of it all, you know, big time racing and the big sponsorships. And um, the funny part was I, I talked to a gentleman that was in control of the DuPont deal that um, was just getting going in, in racing at the time. It was before, just before Jeff Gordon, they, they'd sponsored some with Ricky Craven. Uh, and the week before Nazareth, I talked to them and they wanted to put DuPont on the car. And at the last minute they backed out. Well, we went and we won Nazareth and I, I'll never forget it. I got a call Monday morning from, 
from them and saying, man, I wish I'd have put DuPont. I said, me too, but yeah. you know, that's the way it goes. So, um, it's just funny how things work out. And, uh, you know, winning that race, I had my best friend, Brian Smith, um, literally went to high school together. His dad worked on all my dad's race cars over the years when we were kids, he moved down with me. Another buddy of mine, Scott deal, who become the car chief for Zippy, Greg Zippendelli at, uh, and Tony Stewart, and they went on to win a championship. Um, but there was there was a whole bunch of us that came from Michigan together. We all went our separate ways after probably the year 2000 or whatever. But uh, that was my first win was a special race to have them guys uh, be a part of that, and, and really just you know they done all the nuts and bolts of the work, and and uh, I owe it all to them. Yeah, well, it was especially cool because you guys all come from the same place, right? Came from Michigan together. You won together. And uh, you did your job. They did theirs. So after that, uh, that big win at Nazareth, how, how did, you know, things progress on? How did the, the year continue to go at that point? Well, I mean, we had a good year. You know, it seemed like I was never a big mile and a half guy. And, and at that time, um, you know, did, we were. Did you, did you not like mile and a half or just the car know, wasn't Mike, good? I never felt, I never felt like I, I, you know, I just over the years, I mean, I guess I just wasn't good at them. I don't know. I didn't like the feeling. I don't like, I always like uh, having to lift out of the gas some. Um, gotcha. and, and the mile and a half, you just kind of never, you never lifted, right? If your car was good, you just barely breathe it. And um, I, I guess I was just more of a short track racer. I'm not ashamed to say it, but um, I didn't mind the super speedways, but the mile and a half were tough. And, and that could have been some car, some me, whatever, but uh you know, it just, I, I was always a short track guy or a mile, you know, something under a mile, mm -hmm. St. Louis, Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know, just South Boston. I want it South Boston. I want it. Uh, and I won a couple times at Nazareth and once at New Hampshire. So, um, them are just my type of racetracks. Well, about the time I'm getting good at them, guess what? We start getting rid of all these tracks in the Bush series <laughs> going to all these mile and a half, you know what I mean? So uh, that, that kind of stunk and it, it wasn't great for my career, but you know, I, I have no complaints. Yeah. So after the DeWitt era of racing, or you, you drove for the DeWitt family, um, did, where did, where did you go from there? And, um, who did you drive well, for? I, I know you had an additional career after them, correct? Yeah. I mean, after, you know, the DeWitts, I think after the 96 season, uh, me and Doug Taylor got together. Doug was a, a body hanger and a, a racer and uh, a lot of people knew Doug. He was up in Denver, North Carolina, and uh, we decided to start a team. He he was running Patty Moise, I think, a couple years before that, and uh, we brought Kleenex. I had Kleenex with me and and uh, brought Kleenex over there. I ran with him a couple of years. We didn't have very good success. It just wasn't a good match. And uh, after that. Um, I think starting the 97 season, I got with Bill Bumgarner, who was, uh, I think, a, I don't know how many champ, three or four time champion in the Bush series, okay, twice yeah. with Randy, once with uh, Johnny Benson, I believe. You're right. And uh, so I was Randy's teammate for a couple of years. We won uh, South Boston and Nazareth again, I think, with 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 the 33 Kleenex car. And uh, so them them were fun times. I mean, 
being Randy's teammate is <laughs> is something else just in itself. Right? I would say that was comical most of the time by itself when you weren't being serious oh in God, the race car. Dude. Like, I mean, they're winning championships and, and they're fighting like cats and dogs. I, it was the, the craziest stuff I'd ever seen. Steve Bird, Randy, they didn't get along that good. But come race day, man, they were the people to beat. I have to share a story, and I'm pretty sure he wouldn't remi- mind me saying this was just last week, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I called Randy LaJoy and Timmy that, you know, they, they named Randy one of the 75 best yes. NASCAR drivers. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I called him, and, I says, and his shop's right down the street from where I live, you know. And I said, LaJoy. I said, man, I, I don't need a thing. I said, I was just calling to congratulate you on the uh, Top 75 deal. And you, if you know Randy and he to, he says, can you believe this shit? <laughs> <laughs> That's just what he said. Do you believe? He says, I said I would never do anything for them again. And, you know, he had, when Corey was racing, to, or what uh, What do they call that, the North Series or whatever, they they yeah. disqualified him or something, and they weren't out legal. And he says he would never do anything for NASCAR again. He hated them, you know. <laughs> yeah. they, they were out to get him. So I says, "What about the seventy fifth? I says they got to honor you. And he goes, "Damn it, I I, I got to eat my words. I'm going to go get the presentation." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was just uh, since you Love mentioned hate. Randy, it was just really unique, you know. Yeah, no, and that was special. I'm so proud of Randy. He worked so hard. He was he was a natural talent, man. Always was. And- but uh, but he, he was one dude it. that would not he didn't mind what he said in front of who no, he said it right yeah he I, wasn't politically correct you know yeah, he never was. no edit button <laughs> none none he'd like, be in uh in the last five years he would have gotten in trouble really bad many times yes thank god <laughs> he is not a driver in current times <laughs> <laughs> hey just uh, i want to back up a second because I, I we always like to bring fans up to speed on how things happen and that now progress on you mentioned Kleenex a couple times, and you said you had Kleenex, and then you were able to bring it over with you. How back in the day did you acquire a sponsor, and how how were you able to transfer it from one team to another, or do you actually even remember how you got it? Well, I do. I mean, there was a lady named Kathy Arut. You know Jackie Arut? Yeah. Uh, well, Kathy was married to Jack uh, for a while. They split up. Kathy was in marketing. Um she come to me one time and, and had Kleenex in her pocket. And we went up there to Kimberly Clark in Wisconsin and met with them. And, um, it went good. And, um, and they, man, they, they gave a kid from Michigan a shot. And, uh, you know, we, we went to, I think like I said, we went to Doug the first time and that didn't go very good. So it was hard, uh, after two, the first two years of, of really no success. Um, they, they, stuck with me and we went to base and bill Baumgartner won a couple races and uh you know ran good everywhere we went uh with them cars and uh um you know that was uh that was fun times i, I do remember though after i raced the two years with bill Baumgartner and and you know bill he's a great guy but was always a, a harsh businessman right known mm-hmm. for his stubbornness come to contracts especially with drivers him and randy had it out a few times and but he always treated me like gold him and his family are still golden to me but i decided that i was going to leave with kleenex and go to a new team and, and a lot of people don't know this and it, it really doesn't matter because it's so long ago but it was greg pollock's right okay and he was starting a new team so we were getting the cars ready 
Kleenex was coming on board. Harold Holly was my crew chief. Putting a, getting ready to put a seat in our Daytona car, and I get a call from Bill saying that uh, you didn't read the contact very well, did you? I'm uh -oh. like, what are you talking about, Bill? <laughs> yeah, I can hear I can hear this now. Go ahead. Yeah, he says uh, we got to no know compete for two years. Basically saying that I'd have to wait two years before I could bring Kleenex to another team. He said you can do what you want to do, but. You go to Daytona, and uh, we're probably going to have some problems if you got Kleenex on that car. So I'm like, God darn it, you know, what do you do, right? So, and I'm looking so forward because we got the, like, the perfect team lined up. I mean, Harold Holly was, is, was, whatever, was a great crew chief, and uh, um, Greg had great people working for him and a, and a good team. And so I, I decided to back out of that and, uh, I talked to Frank CC and Scott Wellover. They had a good team. Uh, anyhow, I went over to CC Wellover, drove the 36 Stanley car that year. Jeff Green hopped in the 32 Kleenex car, which was my number from way back in the day in Michigan, 32. That was my number. And I don't think they won the championship that year, but they finished second, won the championship the following year. So you but, uh, left the Kleenex sponsorship over at, uh, yeah. at that team? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just because, I mean, Bill had a, you know, he had a pretty rock solid contract. It was in there. I got you. And, uh, you know, man, you did good. Learn, or right? He did like, good. Every time I try to enforce one of them agreements, they go, oh, well, let's, let's go to court and settle it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, we could have went to court, but I knew that it was in there, right? I thought, yeah. well, you know, maybe it, it, sometimes you just thought he might ignore it, possibly. Well, possibly. Who yeah. knows? It, it, you know. But I learned a valuable lesson in life right there. So gotcha. Read it's the contract. Yeah. <laughs> Read the damn contract. Yeah. So you uh you went over to Welliver's deal, the Kleenex deal stayed with uh over at that team and Yeah, uh, stayed yeah. with Jeff and, and Greg Pollocks. And I think uh the first year I don't remember we we didn't do very good at CC Welliver. I think I won one race there at New Hampshire with uh, Billy Naswitz, who was Richie Evans chief i think he's got 12 modified championship rings that was a really but, famous uh, was name a, wasn't it that billy nazareth yeah i, mean, I, I remember hearing really, his name around birdie all the time they used to always talk Billy nazareth was you know just a he's retired he retired a couple of years ago from racing but I, I was so happy to get that win with him um at new hampshire and uh uh you know that was a tough weekend too um that was the weekend that that adam got killed and, uh, you know, in, in the year 2000, uh, me and Adam were buddies and we'd been on the, his dad, the Kyle Petty ride a few weeks before that and just got to know each other really well. He was a young man, which we all, you, you knew him well, Mike, and, and, uh, obviously you knew the whole family, but, um, we, we had a, a great weekend, but it was, um, I'll never, uh, never forget the circumstances of that weekend. It was just something. Hey that, Timmy, uh, let, let's come back. Still haunt and, you to this day. Yeah, let's come back and just have a thirty-second conversation about that, if you don't mind, because I just ran into okay. Kyle the other night. We're talking to Tim Feeney. Okay. We'll come back. We'll talk some more. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. On the line, joining us today, Tim Fiedewa. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. 
Timmy, I ha- I really hate to go back to Loudon, but it's so important in the uh, the history of our sport. Adam Petty, who was uh, you know part of what we call racing royalty through the the Petty family, lost lost his life there, and you, you were a, a very good friend of his. What kind of effect, if any, or what did you feel after that when when you heard it happen? You were that. I mean, what what was that like? You know, I. I remember it happened in practice and, uh, we knew it was bad, you know, but the show went on. Like we, we didn't know much other than he, you know, they took him out of the racetrack and we qualified that day. And, you know, our car was, was really good. And I remember we got the pole and, uh, I was happy and we took pictures on the pole board, you know, done the whole deal. And as soon as it was over, my dad said, come here. My dad was there, and he said, uh, come here, I got to tell you something. And he pulled me aside, and he, he said, Adam is is dead. And, uh, you know, it just took everything out of you. And, and uh, man, to this day, you know, it, it's, it's surreal. Um, it just, it, I guess, you know, it's one thing when, you know, someone of, in, someone that's elderly loses their life and, and dies and, and passes on. Um, but man, when a kid, I think he was what, 19 years old, something very young. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and just had such a bright future and was such a good, a good person, man. Just everybody loved to be around him. He was never not smiling, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, he, he, I just never forget his relationship with his dad and his, his, you know, he always called his grandfather the king, which he is the king. But <laughs> if he ever referred to his grandfather, it was the king. The king's over here in the bus. The king's over here, you know, <laughs> going this way. The king, the king, the king. And it was just cool. And uh, they, I, they all loved Adam just so much. And, uh, you know, it, a funny – it's it's so ironic. Um, after that race, we won the race. Mm-hmm. and uh, That had to be exciting. It was exciting, but it was still um, tempered a little bit, probably. You know, huh? Just because yes, it happened. Yes, it was. And I, you know, and I dedicated the race to Adam, and uh, you know, in a couple weeks we raced at Charlotte, and John Andretti got hurt in the Petty car, broke his ribs, I think, at Dover. Hmm. Kyle called me and asked me if I would fill in for him in the six hundred. You know. Oh, and wow. yeah, and I know a lot of that had to do with what was said and he knew me and Adam were buddies and, uh, it, it was just really cool. So John started the race called ass like 11th when I got in and I dropped back to 30th. <laughs> I thought it was going to be another one of those looks easy, right? But, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did practice in happy hour. I was 12th on the board. I looked up the pylon. I'm like 12th. I'm like, man, yeah, this shit's easy. <laughs> and it, John started the race, run 40 laps. I got in the car. I was so loose, man. I think I got lapped like three times. I couldn't hang on to it. And, uh, but you know, just, just, uh, made a relationship with Kyle and Richard. And then I'll ne- this is, I know it's a long story, but a few years ago we moved into our neighborhood. I'm doing dishes, looking out at my wife, checking the mail on the street. There's this guy with a goatee and a hat and sunglasses talking to her, pushing a baby stroller. And uh, she's talking to him for a while. I'm like, what, what's this guy doing, right? Like, 
pretty soon the wife comes in. She goes, hey, that's Kyle. Oh. And I said, Kyle who? <laughs> she goes, Kyle Petty. He lives down the road. I said, no way. So it's like we, me and Kyle have always had this thing where we, we just always end up uh, full circle in huh? the same space. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we've always been friends, man. And he, uh, Kyle and Morgan have always just, you know, they, they walk by when they walk by the neighborhood, they stop with the kids and, you know, it's just, it's always been cool. And uh, I just love our relationship that we've always had. Well, outstanding. Thanks for sharing that with us. I know it wasn't a great story, yeah. you know, great to bring up, but it's uh, a story a lot of people right. always like to know because the Petty family is so great, and Kyle and Richard are still big names. And so yep. let's kind of move forward to your career. Where and what point do you decide that Tim Fedewa doesn't want to be a race car driver anymore? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I've, I've been racing and, and in between rides, and I, I didn't have no money behind me, and uh, – I was getting older and so you know bill elliott needed a spotter and uh i thought you know what i can i was still racing a little bit on in the bush series for armando fitz and uh i could do it on race day on sunday so i kind of transitioned over to doing it on sundays racing on saturdays and that worked out for a while and then i lost my saturday job racing bush cars so all i had left was spotting and uh thank god i did because it kind of trans I transitioned into it and uh, just kept working, and uh, I well, guess I'm still spotting today. Yeah, well, you're highly, highly respected as a spotter, and you know, I know talking to numerous people in, in the race world. Do you? I mean, other than it, it probably pays you pretty good money. Do you, do you enjoy doing that? Do you? Does it? Is it just a job, or is it got fill any of that void that the driving part had, or not? Um, you know, it does, Mike. It it, it does all that. It, it you know, I can't, you know, I, I would really love to drive and, but I'm, I'm well past the eight, my prime. And, right. But, uh, you know, I still got part of the competition. I, I could still feel like I make an input in what goes on during the weekends. And, uh, you know, I, I love helping young guys. I, I've worked with Kevin for the last 10 years and that's been, you know, a blessing just to work with someone like him. I wish, I wish I would have, uh, been able to have Kevin's knowledge when I was driving if that makes sense. Um, they tell me he's really you know, smart, very astute, of, not just a driver. He, he knows what's going on. Is that true? He's got a high IQ, you know, and, and high racing IQ and a, just a high IQ in general. And uh, just being able to observe him from up top, I wish I could have done that, you know, prior to the years that I started racing. Um, it, it just would have progressed my, my career, I think. But, you know, he, he just uh, – Watching him race and, and working with him and Rodney and the whole team, uh, it's been it's been fun. But I also enjoy uh, my spot for Riley Herbst in the Xfinity Series. I do a truck team with Colby Howard. And, uh, you know, I do ARCA cars, and it's uh, it's fun. It's fun to do a little bit of everything. Like Kevin, I don't have to tell how to drive, obviously, right? He knows how to drive. Mm -hmm. But then when you get to another level, the ARCA Series or whatnot, these guys don't know, so they're relying on you. They hire you to, to help them and to guide them and, and sometimes tell them when to turn left and when to turn right. <laughs> nah. So um, it's uh, it's cool. It's it's fun, and uh, I still get a big kick out of it, and I definitely enjoy what I do. Well, that's cool. That So I that was the part of my question I was going to ask. Uh, Kevin, of course, knows what's going on, so you just, I would assume, do the normal spotting. I, I'm, I'm making it sound simple, but it's not. 
But these other drivers, you're helping, you're coaching them, like the Riley and anybody below that, right? I mean, you're giving them some of the knowledge yeah. that you had as a driver and the stuff you learn from Kevin every Sunday. Exactly. I mean, you just try to shorten the learning curve, right? That's that's the biggest thing I think with a spotter that a spotter can do. Like, um, you know, when you when you go do a truck series guy that's only got five starts at a, in a truck, they hire Timmy Fidoa or Coleman Presley or, you know, Derek Nealon. They want to shorten that curve so that their race weekend is is successful. And uh, so that and that's a challenging part for us too. We have to. You know, you're, you're coaching young drivers and um, you're trying to get them to be aggressive. But, you know, they're young drivers and they, they still are going to have learning learning curves. And uh, it can get interesting at times, you know. Well, that's cool. If there's any more of those high-paying jobs out there, keep your old buddy in mind. Just, uh, just <laughs> I, will, buddy. I don't know about high-paying. I mean, I'm not <laughs> complaining. But, uh, you know, it's it's it really is – I don't know. It, it's a stressful job, like – you don't just leave it at the track like Martinsville still haunts me today from yesterday from the whole weekend. Right. It's like, and by Wednesday you'll kind of be over it and you'll move on to Talladega and then Talladega is a whole nother animal. It's a, it's still like, I never thought, I thought when I was driving, how could it be any more stressful or harder? Um, but it, it really is a, a job that you take home with you and, and, uh, it stays with you, man. You're always second guessing yourself what you could have done, what you could have said. Um, I, I guess it just means I care. Sure. I, I sure, feel like, I, I, yeah, man, I feel like that's the whole team in general. That's racing. Yeah. Like we all have done it our whole lives, right? That's why we do it. That's why we love it. But man, it is a, uh, it is a not, most of the time it's not very friendly, right? Yeah. Well, the it's, great it's, thing it, about being a spotter and correct me if I'm wrong when uh when your team wins a race you get a casual mention if you're in a hell of a wreck you get a major mention <laughs> yeah. i didn't i didn't hear well, the spotter the spotter didn't tell me you know he said go low yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. i thought he said, said left near, not, i said near not clear we're the field goal kickers man we are the field goal kickers. yeah you know? well that's wonderful i want to kind of end up but i want to ask you something years ago and i don't know that you're still involved in or tell me you you used to be a really big time cook or chef are you still into cooking or oh yeah yeah first year i'm not a chef never you know but i, I went to school for it I, I worked when i was 15 and in, in a nice a couple of real nice italian restaurants and i had some chefs that that uh taught me a lot and uh and I went to school for it, and then I went racing, so I really didn't get to. But I, I, my my great grandmother was a baker at a big restaurant in Cadillac, Michigan. My, my whole, all my grandmother, my grandmothers and aunts were all um, cooks and bakers, and I just always paid attention to it. And I've always loved to love to be in the kitchen. And uh, yeah, I still love to cook. I don't do it as much as I. I say it, I don't do it as much as I used to, but. Holidays are big around the Fetal's house, that's for sure. So what's your what's your specialty then? You say you worked in an Italian restaurant. Is is Italian? Yeah, you know, chicken parmesan. I love making chicken parmesan. I love making homemade pasta. Um, it's uh, just any I, I, and really Italian's not. You know, if I find I, I'm kind of a, I like things that I ate when I was ten years old that my mom or my grandma cooked. So I have all their recipes, my great grandmother's recipes. So making them recipes to me and keeping that tradition alive is the coolest thing. 
Well, Jeff's asking that because him and I are always open for an invite to dinner, and uh, we just want to make sure we like what we're coming to eat. We love to eat, (laughs) and we're good at it. You should have asked me what you should have told me what your favorite thing was. Well, I'll tell you. Yesterday, and I I spend a lot of time uh, either in the kitchen or around the you know the barbecue. I have a smoker. I have a a regular uh, gas grill. Uh, So yesterday, I was watching a golf tournament, flipping back and forth between that and the race, and. and I cooked some uh, shrimp in the smoker with some corn on the cob. And then I did some dirty rice and I made a homemade romalade sauce. That was wow. fant- It was fantastic. Yeah. Low country. Because I, like I was at the golf tournament was on Hilton Head Island. So I was feeling the low country. Feeling yeah. the low country. <laughs> yeah. And atmosphere. I well, like that. Well, boys, the best I can cook is go to Wendy's Drive Thru. <laughs> so that's, I'm sorry. To... <laughs> but. Timmy, we just I can't thank you enough for taking all the time. We ventured through your career from the very start to uh, present day. Went back at the end here on a little cooking and uh, enjoy <laughs> it. Wish you the very best. Keep having a great time and come join us again sometime. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it, man. You bet. I, I've uh, had a good time. You've been listening to Cooking with Mike Wallace. No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ted. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by MyRace Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.